Hey everyone, it's SJ here. Just a little note that this episode is actually the second half of a big conversation. The first half was last week's episode. This one, I sound a little bit pseudoscience-y and now that I've done a lot more reading, I there's a whole bunch more facts that I would like to put into the conversation, but this whole thing is always just two people's opinions at one point in time and even I listened to one of the episodes from three or four months ago the other day and I realized wow I sound really different which I find kind of interesting. This episode though I think really shows some parts of Peter that we haven't seen yet in particular some of the really difficult parts of our relationship and of I think any big relationship. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Okay, so I'm reading this really great book at the moment, which I... Is it called Flex? I think it would be good. No, it's not called Flex. Have you read Flex? I started reading Flex, I told you, and it's formatted weird on the Kindle. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Carry on. We didn't talk about it in a podcast, so it doesn't count. (laughs) I'm reading this book by Matt Haig. It's called Reasons to Stay Alive, which is... I mean, the title is pretty indicative of what it's about. It's about this guy. It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook about cooking with your tears. Mm. It's about uh, this writer. I think maybe he's probably like 40 now. It came out last year. I think it has a quote from Stephen Fry on the cover. But um, Ooh, Pretty fancy. Ooh. That would make sense for a cookbook. It's about him being 24. Stephen Fry? Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, you did that. So when I do bad things, does that make you feel better? Maybe it makes me, it makes me feel comforted. (laughs) Like Peter's joke didn't land. Who cares how well he's doing on Kickstarter? No, no, not like that. Makes me feel like I'm not alone. (laughs) What was I going to say? Cookbook. Yeah, the cookbook, Reasons to Stay Alive. It's about him when he was 24 and he had a breakdown and was really... I think he got diagnosed with a bunch of things like OCD and depression, anxiety and agoraphobia. But I can't remember the last time I read something that I've been like, oh man, this just so perfectly explains stuff in such a simple, accessible way. And I'm really annoyed at you for writing it because it's so clearly what I've been thinking. Can I read you a tiny bit of it? Yeah, of course. So, like, I was really surprised to think that this was good because I've been thinking about and looking a lot at sort of diagnosis and identity and how those things are related and it makes me less... Like, how we tell narratives around mental illness or mental distress and how there's this, like, heroic survivor narrative. And I remember I went to a talk recently where someone described how people require certain things of people who are going to tell their stories in a way that is pornographic because it requires exposure and vulnerability from the person and nothing of its audience which I was like at the time I was like wow that's a bit of a hmm, comparison but I can kind of like get that but so many of the stories are about I used to be like this and now I'm better I mean partially that's because that's the stories people want to hear yeah, that's what I mean. That's the stories that people want to hear. Yeah, that's the stories people want to hear. I think that's the people that stories want to hear. What do you mean? <laughs> Nothing. I was trying to repeat the same thing and I fucked up the wording. 
<laughs> okay. I expected myself to not like this book because I expected it to be, and it is still sort of like a similar kind of narrative so far, but anyway, this is one bit for it. Uh, he says, maybe looking at a specific part or chemical in the brain is only ever going to give a partial answer. Maybe we should be looking at how we live and how our minds weren't made for the lives we lead. Human brains, in terms of cognition and emotion and consciousness, are essentially the same as they were at the time of Shakespeare or Jesus or Cleopatra or the Stone Age. They are not evolving with the pace of change. Neolithic humans never had to face emails or breaking news or pop-up ads or Iggy Azalea videos or a self-service checkout at a strip-lit Tesco Metro on a busy Saturday night. Maybe instead of worrying about upgrading technology and slowly allowing ourselves to be cyborgs, we should have a little peek at how we could upgrade our ability to cope with all of this change. One thing can be said for sure. We are nowhere near the end of science, especially a baby science like neuroscience. So most of what we know now will be disproved or reassessed in the future. That is how science works. Not through blind faith, but continual doubt. All we can do for the moment is really all we need to do. Listen to ourselves. When we are trying to get better, the only truth that matters is what works for us. If something works, we don't necessarily care why. Diazepam didn't work for me. Sleeping pills and St. John's wart and homeopathy didn't fix me either. I've never tried Prozac because even the idea intensified my panic. So I don't know about that. But then I have never tried cognitive behavior therapy either. If pills work for you, it doesn't matter if this is to do with the serotonin or another process or anything else. Keep taking them. Hell, if licking wallpaper does it for you, do that. I am not anti-pill. I am pro anything that works, and I know pills do work for a lot of people. There may well come a time in the future where I take pills again. For now, I do what I know keeps me just about level. Exercise definitely helps me, as does yoga and absorbing myself in something or someone I love. So I keep doing these things. I suppose in the absence of universal certainties, we are our own best laboratory. So what what do you get out of that? So there's this thing of like, I think why I particularly liked that right now is there's this kind of like, I want to be a good patient, right? And take what's prescribed. But there's this thing that like, what if you do all those things? And it doesn't work. And I like that this is kind of reframing it in this way of like, yeah, your experience makes sense. That you can try all the things and there isn't, like it's really confusing and exhausting and unclear. But at the same time, it's also like, that makes sense. Like your experience isn't necessarily disordered, but... It, it makes sense biologically in terms of our advancements as society and how our brain functioning works. Does that make sense? Not quite. You know that Wait But Why article that we've talked about before? How our brain is designed for a tribe of however many people. and Yeah. and It's important not to be excluded from that tribe, but in the current world, it's a tribe of a billion people and you're going to be excluded from... The majority of possible tribes, the trick is not to avoid that because you can never avoid being excluded from every tribe, but to find your tribe and, and fit in there. Yes, but the start of it, he talks about how like we have this like fear function 
which was really useful when there was like heaps of life endangering things to be afraid of. And it's still useful now. It says don't jump off buildings and stuff like that. But it, it's less useful when it's like, don't miss a Facebook update. Don't miss a Facebook update. And it's that same gut reaction. Oh, fuck. You didn't go to that party that everyone was at. You know, those things are less useful. And I think that putting those reactions, those fear reactions, into a place that says you're disordered is like... It's a really difficult thing to come to terms with. So like people who get anxiety attacks over stuff that it's not reasonable to have an anxiety attack over, but their fear calibration is is different. Well, it depends what you mean by reasonable. Like, because <laughs> that's kind of like disordered language. But I would probably say something that like you find unhelpful. Sure. I was I was trying to pick a non-loaded word. No, no, I know you weren't. I know you weren't trying it. Like I deliberately was trying to pick a non-loaded word. Uh but helpful is yeah. much better than reasonable. I don't think reasonable is inaccurate, but I think it is not as good a word as helpful. Yeah. But I was reading this article the other day that was saying, you know, like depression and anxiety are are symptoms, not disorders of themselves. I think you tweeted that to me. Oh uh, yeah, I think I did. The thing is like I realize what you were saying about neuroscience being a very, very new field and science will update it and all that. But depression is also like can purely be caused by an imbalance of chemicals. Look, I'm actually, I'm really confused about that point. Why? I used to be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I get it. I mean, I don't know enough about it for sure. Do you know about the horseshoe model of politics? No. The idea is that if you go far enough left in politics, you end up on the right. And if you go far enough right in politics, you end up on the left. So like at first when you're looking at stuff, like if, if you take the most centrist person, as you move either left or right, you move away from the other side. If it's a horseshoe, eventually you stop moving away from the other side and just start moving in the same direction as them. Sure. So if you look at people who are like hardcore left, quite often they will be sharing a lot of opinions with the hardcore right. Yeah. I know one particular person I used to follow on Tumblr was very, very left. And they got to the point, like, socially, you know, in terms of social leftism, that they were like, I don't believe in gender. Okay. I don't think gender exists at all. I don't think sex exists at all. Therefore, there is no such thing as being a homosexual. Therefore, homosexuality is a choice. Huh. Which is hilarious to me, because that is a really right-wing opinion that you can reach from going very far left. Yeah, right. So, I mean, like, how does that relate to this? So, this is not what you're trying to say, and I don't think this is necessarily what you are saying. But to a certain degree, it sounds like depression is not real. I'm saying neuroscience is bullshit. No, no, no. You're saying depression is something that you should be able to just get yourself out of. <laughs> Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I know, but you, you can see how you could read that out of what you are saying. Yeah. Um, if you're like, depression is not actually a thing. It's a symptom. It's a symptom meaning you could fix something and you would not be depressed anymore. <sighs> meaning depression is something that you could act differently and get out of. Well, that's the thing that's really difficult about, you know, disorders where it's, I, I'm going to say like disorders of the mind is that. It is 
thought, you know? But that's what I'm saying. Like, my understanding of it, and I've done probably way less research than you, is literally, like, the chemical that gives you happiness in your brain can just be switched off by your brain, and that can cause depression, where no matter what you do, you can never feel that happiness. A pill can switch that back on. Sure. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying that does make sense. Yeah, it does make a certain amount of sense. I suppose I have never experienced that. And that's nice, but not science. No, no, no. I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's science. I'm saying, I don't know. I've just met a lot of people who now have said that there's actually a bunch of literature that says a bunch of other shit. And I am at the point where I'm like, oh, I don't know enough about these things. But I've never questioned the idea that that was not how... Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's good to question stuff. I am reluctant to co-host a podcast with someone saying maybe no one should take pills no that's not what i'm saying no and this thing is like the bit that i read from this book is not saying that either it's saying do whatever works for you that's why i mean like i was like fuck this guy's saying exactly what i think which is do whatever the fuck works for you so that i have issue with in a different way <laughs> oh really because i am being contrary today which is that that ideology of do what works for you that is nice but that also really leads to pseudoscience being popular so he mentions homeopathy sure homeopathy is literally worthless it is take a pill that is full of water and nothing else and they try to sell themselves as a real science and that is dangerous because people who don't know better will go to them and be like can i get this please like, I have a friend whose mother never got her any vaccines. Instead, she had homeopathy pills. That's not going to do anything. <laughs> That's super dangerous and unhealthy. And if you go around being like, hey, look, if it works for you, it's okay. That, to my mind, is really fucked up. Yeah. I mean, there's... Okay, so in terms of, like, homeopathy and stuff like that, I am actually, to a point, genuinely, like, whatever works for you. But I'm not like, whatever works for you and don't take vaccines. So here's the thing. Cancer can go into spontaneous remission. You're aware of that concept? Sure. Just say 100 people have cancer and one of them happens to be the one whose cancer goes into spontaneous remission. Right after he takes some homeopathy pills. He's going to go around being like, hey guys, this worked for me. Other people are then going to do what Steve Jobs did and be like, that worked for him. Like, I hate that attitude of do what works for you. That is really unscientific. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't take into account causation and correlation. Yeah. I mean, you have a point. It does sometimes happen. I suppose when it comes to stuff like psychology, where in terms of neuroscience, like, it is kind of a baby science. Like, there is so much shit that we don't understand. There's a lot of stuff that we don't fully understand. There's a lot of stuff that we do have ideas on based on evidence. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that like, oh, I'm not totally sure why this stuff works. I just think the whatever works for you attitude is a dangerous one. How about like, what about like whatever works for you within reason? <laughs> How about that? I, I, that's kind of meaningless. Like what is within reason? Ah, uh, that's just, you know, reason. Within reason. <laughs> Everyone's got the same idea of, of reasonable, right? That is definitely how the human race works. Uh, you mentioned earlier this idea of a baseline. Yeah. And we started by talking about Kickstarter. And I'm going to do that old, uh, that old writer's trick where I tie those two things together. Sure. Because there's something I've noticed, actually, that I thought was really interesting. My Kickstarter, doing phenomenally well. 
I'm not bringing it up to brag, I'm bringing it up because it is just doing stupidly well. And everyone, including me, is very excited. However, it hasn't changed anything. Like, it's good, and I'm happy that a thing did well. But it's not like I've ascended to a different plane. Or oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, because I'm, I'm in Toronto, where I'm going to be for the next three to five years, I am this is the first time in a long time I've been in a permanent place. So I pulled up OkCupid, and I rewrote my profile, and I changed all my pictures, and I started sending messages out. And then I was checking my email, and I'd be like, ah, damn it, I thought that was going to be an OkCupid message. It's just someone pledging $100 on my Kickstarter, which is the dumbest thought process, because a month ago when my Kickstarter started, I would be like, oh my god, someone's just pledged $100 on my Kickstarter. That's insane. But whatever the thing you do is, it so quickly becomes the baseline. Well, there's a really great Wait But Why article about that. The one, <laughs> Life is a Painting by Today's Yuli. Today's notes is just a... Uh... <laughs> Links to Wait But Why articles. The one that's, uh, Your Life is a Painting but You Live in a Pixel. Yeah, that, oh God, that's a good article. So like, I understand and agree with that, but I also find that idea... Terrifying? <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, there's just, there's just negative ways of taking that, which is like, if I'm not happy now... There's, like, external things won't change that. Yeah. I don't see that as negative. I see that as a fact. Like, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've always been obsessed with it. Uh, John Lennon was miserable, and he just wanted, like, fame and to be admired for his talent. He became John Lennon of the Beatles. Yeah. That is the most admired person for their talent with the most fans that anyone has ever had. And, like the richest as well and was like oh i'm still not happy and that's when he started to work on actually becoming happy instead of becoming successful yeah i mean i'm there i didn't have to get famous first i didn't have to become john lennon <laughs> to realize that so like i can see why you could interpret it as negative but if you look at it as like instead of putting my and you're very good at this this is not directed at you specifically this is just more for any listeners who are in a similar position if you're unhappy, there is no point in being like, well, look, once I have a girlfriend or once I have a boyfriend or once I have a, a single out or once I have a successful Kickstarter campaign or once I have a pet, a pet may be different, um, once I have a whatever, that is not going to be the thing that brings you happiness. Yeah. That is not how life or humans work. It is about becoming happy. It's about the 337th Wednesday. Is that the quote from Wait But Why? It is. But that's from a different <laughs> article called how to find your life partner but it's basically you know like it's about all the average days happiness isn't in like the day you win an oscar it's in like the wednesday that you spend at home watching youtube videos last year i did the io summer intensive which is a big improv theater in chicago yeah and there was one person in in, in one of the classes i was in who would always start every scene with a negative they'd come out and be like you ran over my pet come out and be like i'm breaking up with you or come out and be like no one likes me and the instructor was like these are all great offers you're just coming at them from the wrong angle and if you come in and say instead of you ran over my pet come in and say i have a pet that i love it's the same thought i love this pet but instead sure. of being like i love this pet and it's dead it's <laughs> i love this pet instead of coming in and saying i'm breaking up with you come in and say i love our relationship or I'm so happy I met you. Yeah. This is what I mean when I say like it is all thought and that's what makes it 
exhausting and also confusing because you there's no like time out from it yeah you, you can't be like okay cool i've had two days of working on, on being happy now i'm gonna have a little break by the bahamas <laughs> where i will just be happy and then come back and keep working on it my point isn't like this negative flipping thing i mean i find that negative flipping thing really helpful in general every time i have a negative thought it is very easy to flip that and be like how is that actually a positive thought and so my point isn't negative thinking to positive thinking is the solution i'm saying that is an approach to take i'm not saying that supersedes your brain might just have the the serotonin dispenser shut off that might just be a fact sure the, the thing that's funny right just on that note is so i talked to this um a scientist i was like how the hell do ssris work like, I don't actually know how they work. What's an SSRI? A serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Oh, that sounds cool. So I would say, like, the most common form of antidepressants are SSRIs. What are they called SSRIs? Maybe because they're yours? Sarah's serotonin? <laughs> and he was just saying that, like, the reason why they have different types of serotonin reuptake inhibitors is that the, like, part of the brain that the chemical matches with Everyone's brain can have like a different shape for that part of the brain. Receptor. Yeah, for that receptor or whatever the fuck it is. And so like the different types of serotonin reuptake inhibitors fit into the different like shapes, right? There's no way of knowing what shape you have in your brain. There's no way of knowing what shapes are in people's brains, apparently. That's super interesting. So there's this thing of like you could try a bazillion different SSRIs, and none of them could work. Yeah. We might not have even made one that would suit your brain. I'm really aware that I am absolutely not a scientist. <laughs> and, like, throughout all of this stuff, I just seem like... I, like, I feel like I sound, like, really pseudoscience-y. <laughs> but the, the fact is that I don't actually understand all of this stuff. So I have, like, tiny pieces of information from people. But... Like that thing of being like, fuck, like what if the bit in my brain just isn't the right shape? Like I could try different drugs for years and nothing could ever happen. That's why, that's why. Also something could happen. Something could happen. Yeah, sure. But then like I've been on so many, not so many. I actually went and got a full list of all the drugs that I've been on and, um, it was really easy to do. I just rang up my old psychiatrist's office and was like, this is my name. Can you tell me what I've been on? And she was like, yes. And I was like, don't you want to ask me for my date of birth or my address or anything? She was like, no. <laughs> Whoa, that's weird. I know. I thought that was really weird. Um, you know, people will now be able to call up your psychiatrist and just get this list. Yeah, but I don't really give a shit if people know what I've taken. Also, no one knows who my psychiatrist is. It's me. It's Car- it's it's Peter. Oh, what did you just say? <laughs> I nearly said Karen. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I've taken a lot of drugs and pretty much the only thing that's happened is I've had side effects. Particularly the last time I took something, um, like I just like completely lost any semblance of a sexual identity. And... I think I got hardcore, like, diarrhea. Han, you kind of had both those things, because diarrhea is super erotic. Gross. <laughs> I mean, having diarrhea, obviously. We've all had that. Anyway. <laughs> was that not at all funny? I thought that was really funny. I was just like, please don't say anything more about poo. Um, 
so for me, it's like I could have a whole bunch of side effects. You know, like, I've just tried a lot of different things and, like, nothing's worked. And I've just had side effects. And being on those kind of drugs, like, for a long time is, is like, not good for your body. Yeah. From my understanding of talking to doctors, I'm sure that that doesn't, isn't a blanket thing, but even taking something like Valium is being linked with dementia. So, I mean, all of this is on my brain because a few weeks ago, my psychiatrist was like... I think we talked about it in the podcast. Yeah. So, do you want to take some drugs? And I was like, not really. Yeah. Cool. Have you decided? Yeah, I saw her last week and she was like, so what do you think of I'm like, I'm, I was just... I don't know. Like, not... I don't really want to. That sucks. Like, it's a really rough situation for you. So I think the real moral here is that I shouldn't ask you how you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we first started going out and you would cry, I would have no idea what to do. Yeah. I had never really been around people who cried before. Like that just wasn't part of my life. And so I would freak out. Like I would panic and I would just try to be whatever I could be so I would I would mostly just try to make you laugh because I was like she's crying laughter is the opposite of crying so I can make her laugh that will help with the crying do you remember yeah I remember you being really confused as well as that like I function best on information and worst on no information (laughs) and a lot of the time when you were crying you would just shut down and I'd be like I'd be sitting there and because I hadn't been around it and because I loved you so much I would just be trying my hardest to, to like to fix it. I felt like it was my job as the as the loving boyfriend to fix it, and I didn't have any information to go on, and I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't understand it, and so I would freak the fuck out and just be like, "Wacky, wacky joke, 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 wacky joke, 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 please, joke, please, please, wacky joke, please, God, please, joke, joke, joke," and. When we first started dating, you used to cry a lot less. And I don't think that the increase was due to our dating. I think that was just uh, the path that we were on. I used to cry less than, yeah, we, than we now or then... No, no then, then, then later in our relationship. Then later, okay. And then in the middle of our relationship, I then used to cry more. Huh. I don't have this, like, cry graph. Do in... you have your, your diary of all the, all the tissues? Yeah, but that started after our relationship ended. <laughs> and so as it went on... I feel like you sort of expected me to fix it because that was the role that I'd set myself up for. And so at, at first, you know, when you cried, I would try to make you yeah. laugh. I would hug you. I would, I would do that. As it went on, I, w- I, I sort of, I guess, realized that I wasn't able to do that. Or I grew weary of it. And so I would start to just get work done while you were crying. And you would be furious. And you've pulled out your phone. I don't know what to make No, no, no. I'm getting out something that's relevant to what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> So it's like, this is boring. Yeah, fuck you. No, keep going. And so because of where you were in terms of mental health stuff and because of where I was in terms of not knowing what the fuck I was doing, in the middle of our relationship, probably middle, like towards the end of our relationship, you would start crying and then very quickly try to find a reason that that crying was my fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would be stuff like, hey, Peter, I'm crying and you haven't made me feel better. Therefore, it is now your fault that I'm crying. Or, I am crying, and three weeks ago you didn't do the dishes, therefore it is now your fault that I'm crying. Yeah. 
I think that I just like it's part of like emotion uh, emotional literacy. I had a bunch less of it. Yeah, and I had zero. <laughs> I was a, a barren bookshelf in the emotional literature wastelands. <laughs> but I think that happens a lot, particularly when you set up this dynamic of like someone trying to fix a, a like a problem that they can't fix. And then the other person kind of gets into that mindset as well. Yeah, it sets up this dynamic. Anyway, I read, I found this poem the other day by um, Laura Mathis, and it really reminded me of this very thing. Um, okay. Uh, it says, Poem on. Look, I get that you're tired and that this sometimes happens, what, like three, four times a week. And I know that you are thinking, I'll be fine in the morning, like I won't die fine. But the thing is, there is a part of me that falls deeper into itself each time my crying lulls someone I am sharing a bed with to sleep. Sure, I'll wake up the next morning alive, but is it really a good thing to get better at crying softly? I'm not saying you're obliged to do anything, not even a whisper, I'm here for, me, for you, or are you okay, or I'm sorry but I'm very tired, or good night. I know that you're tired of me. But hey, if you hear me beating myself up next to you and choose to ignore me and go to sleep, well, can you really be surprised when you are awake and ready to listen and my first instinct is to hide? It's fucking complex. <laughs> that wasn't like, like I wasn't pulling that out as like a... a the thing is, I, 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 I have grown so much as a person as a result of dating you and also since dating you. And so I hear that poem and I'm like, I feel so sorry for, for both sides of that. Yeah, that's how I, that's how I feel. Because on one hand, yeah, like it does suck to have the person who loves you the most go to sleep as you cry yourself to sleep. On the other hand, you just, you can't be there all the time. Yeah. And if it's constant, we've not really gone into why we broke up and I don't want to go into it in great detail now, but that was definitely a part of it. I just got totally fatigued. Like I wanted to help so much and I loved you so much but I've, I've talked about the beginning of our relationship when you used to cry in the middle and, and, and towards the end of the relationship when you used to cry but I think the saddest is at the end of our relationship when you used to cry I just couldn't care like I just had no fucks left to give and that is normally a phrase used very kind of callously on the internet but I mean literally like I'd spent three years pouring all of my fucks into you <laughs> In every sense of the word. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> and by the end, I just, I couldn't, like, I couldn't care anymore. And that's, like with the poem, that's so sad for both sides of that equation. I look back at that Peter and I, like, my heart bleeds for him. And I look back at that SJ and I'm just like, I am so sorry. But at the same time, there was nothing that either of us could do. I distinctly remember coming home from a counseling session with you once and you were in the car bawling and I was just kind of driving along and you were like don't you care and I was like honestly I don't care yeah I remember that and that's a shitty thing to say mm. but it was also very honest and it was a shitty thing to think but there was nowhere else that I could be like if you walk down a long path you end up at the end of that path and even if it's a shitty path that's where you are and that's where the path led you. And so it's really interesting for me doing this podcast with you now, how I react when you cry, because 
in a sense, I feel like I'm back where we were at the start of the relationship. When you cry, I'm like, I'm going to make her laugh. Huh. Wow. What do you think of that? I think certainly the entertainment factor is a factor. But sometimes we Skype when we're not recording and I do the same thing. And I think it's just that we had a, what do we have, like eight months off and then it's been about a year since we reconnected. Yeah. And those 20 months, sort of like a reboot, I guess. <laughs> I'm back in that frame of mind of like, SJ's crying. How can I make her feel better? Laughter is the opposite of crying. But I think it, it also works because it's not a dependency thing. It's not a constant thing. Like I Skype with you once every week, absolute max. More often like every two to three weeks. And so I'm happy to pour effort into trying to make you feel better when you're crying because it is only one day, you know, it's only a few hours, one day every fortnight. But it's also like I don't, I don't get upset in the same way. That's true. You know, you were saying earlier that you don't ask me how I am because you're like, Peter's self-sustaining. If he has a thing, he will do the thing. Yeah. When we were dating, you also had that sort of, you would treat me differently to anyone else because I had set myself up to be different to anyone else. Yeah. And so when you were crying, you were like, well, Peter has set himself up as the master of tears. Let's call him in. And then if I would fail, which I would, because I can't make you stop crying, that is not something anyone has the power to do. It was very easy to turn that frustration towards me and be like, master of tears didn't do it. What's the fucking point of that job? Why did I give him that same little rope? What a cunt bag. It's not useful for anything. <laughs> I think... Hmm. What was I going to say? Started with, I think. Yeah, it was probably a thought I had. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> I, I think I'm definitely better at looking after myself. And yeah, I suppose a part of that is also I want other people to look after themselves. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. There's this weird part of that that's like that. I get frustrated when people don't look after themselves. <laughs> but that's like, that's something I have to deal with. My parents are both nurses. Yeah. And so I have this sort of inherited hero complex. You know what? I don't know if you remembered saying this, but I'm curious as to whether you do. But I remember in not long before we broke up, I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and it was this big thing in my life and... I have lots of complicated feelings about that sort of diagnosis now that I won't go into. But you <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Thank fuck. But also you you did say, like, you felt sort of, like, proud of it. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. And I think I can express the thought that I had. Sure. Which was dating you for the three years had been incredibly intense and incredibly difficult. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through. And that's not accusatory. That's not, I don't blame you or anything like that. I'm not saying, I, I oh, you're looking at a hair. Yeah. I thought you were just avoiding eye contact. Um, I'm not blaming you for that. That's not accusatory. I'm not saying anything negative about you, but I was an emotional, I'm trying to work out any other word for retard. Um, <laughs> I was emotionally retarded and retarded <laughs> does not mean intellectually disabled. It also means slowed. Like the word retarded has an origin and that word is really useful right now, but I'm aware that it's totally un-PC to say that word. 
but I'm just going to say it. And You had low emotional literacy? Yeah, that doesn't have the emphasis that I want. Okay. I was emotionally stunted almost. Like, I had no emotional capacity. I had very, very low emotional capacity. I had very, very low emotional literacy. And I was dating a human ball of emotions, <laughs> which were frequently directed at me in ways that I couldn't understand. And even now still struggle to understand. Wait, on, as in like you don't understand then or you don't understand now? Even now, I still really struggle with a lot of emotions that you feel on a daily basis. What do you mean? Like jealousy, I don't get. Oh, yeah. So I was this simple happy robot dating a fiery ball of emotions. I feel like that's a really negative way to say that. Ball of emotions? Yeah. I'm happy to sub it out. Give me a suggestion. I don't have one. I you could, could I could be an emotionally deluxe individual. Mm, yeah, you could be. Um, I was a very simple creature, dating a very complex emotional being. Okay. With emotions that I couldn't comprehend, that were so frequently directed at me, and I couldn't pass them, and I felt, and this was not a reasonable thing to feel, but I felt personally responsible a lot of the time, and to learn that. You had a emotional disorder. Is that a, is that an apt way of putting it? I had to say like when I got diagnosed. No, but I'm specifically talking about the fact that it was a atypical emotional thing. Sure. I mean, I don't really identify with that in the same way anymore. No, I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying that's what <laughs> I learned at the time. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we did learn that at the time, even if it later turned out to be incorrect. Uh huh. So I I just spent three years doing this thing that I due to the way I'm built, found incredibly difficult and frustrating and I just didn't understand what was happening. And I persevered and I continued and I tried with every ounce of my being every day. I tried so hard all the time and I couldn't work out why it was so hard. I'd never been in a relationship before, so I was like, I guess this is relationships. And I'd never I'd never been privy to as much of someone's thought process and thoughts as I had with yours. And so I was like, wow, people are really different because you are so different to me in so many ways. And so to then to have a medical professional come in and be like, hey, this is not normal. I was like, wow, <laughs> I am a little bit proud that I stuck through this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that was a good or moral thing to think. And I'm not saying that was like the ideal version of Peter would have thought that. But that is what I thought. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. I was just, that makes sense. What you said makes sense. You look like you have thoughts. Oh, my thoughts are mostly like... Um... <laughs> no, I don't have any thoughts. I don't have any more thoughts on that. Are you thinking about an amazing speech you made once? No, I'm actually just thinking that my I have a headache. Um, and just that I'm like, oh, I don't think that I'm capable of doing this. I, I don't mean the podcast in general. I mean as in like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I mean, we just recorded like an hour long, very emotionally intense podcast. And now we've just recorded another like over an hour long, like emotionally intense podcast. And I'm just like, yeah. So the way that I like to structure this is that we do the emotional one second. But there were surprise emotions in the first <laughs> one that I was not expecting. <gasps> I didn't know that you tried to structure them like that. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Like, the reason we, we were recording today was so that I could talk to you about some stuff, some emotional stuff. Saved it for second. 
Didn't end up, didn't end up talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So my brain isn't working anymore is what I mean. So uh, to sum up, if you're listening to this, don't go and try and back my Kickstarter because it has closed. I'm sorry. I know you're excited to join the SJ Club and be a Kickstarter backer. Just like me. If you want to keep up uh, with all of my future projects, subscribe to our mailing list. You just go to beinghonestwithmyx.com, click on mailing list, subscribe. It's a really cool mailing list. You read it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's good. What's your favorite part? Um, so there's a bit at the end where it's bits of your brother being funny. That's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty good. I just like to hear you reflecting on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will try to be more reflective. Uh, you can... Check out, the pod, uh, check out the mailing list. I think you can actually click through the archives and read old ones if that strikes your fancy. I also do a podcast with my brother. You can find that at letswriteafilm.com. It is in which we are trying to write a screenplay and we also catch up with each other every week. So if you like the idea of either of those things, check it out. So our outro today is from my cousin, Gavin. Did you ever have sex with Gavin? Is this a joke question? Did you? No comment. <laughs> Uh, he recorded this outro. Thanks for listening to Being Honest With My Ex. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review, and tell your friends. Peter is my favorite son. Okay, are you ready for the cutest fucking thing ever? Yes. So, Gavin sent that in, and I sent him a message back being like, oh, look, SJ really likes when people mess with the script and do fun little things. Oh. And, like, don't do it verbatim. And so then he sent us back this. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Being Honest With My Ex. To catch up on past episodes or to subscribe for more, you can find us on iTunes or your preferred podcasting program. Join in the discussion on Eastley's Facebook page and don't forget to tell your friends. Peter is my favourite son. Oh. <laughs> so I think, he, I think he totally misinterpreted what I meant. Because <laughs> I mean, like, stop talking about Peter at the end, everyone. You don't have to say that. So when I say mess with the script, I don't mean rephrase the same idea. I mean, fuck with it. Like, <laughs> But he, he recorded us two, two outros. And so I didn't really feel good about emailing him back and being like, uh, can you be funnier? <laughs> uh, but thank you to Gavin. You know that I love you the little bits and I always will. Uh, a few people have expressed concern that we've said, we need more outros and your outro hasn't been played yet. That is because we record up to like a month in advance. So if you haven't played your outro yet, don't panic. It's probably on our list. We're just getting to them in the order of whatever order we choose. <laughs> it's kind of in the order that we get them, right? Yeah, sort of whatever. <laughs> it, there's, there's not really a system. <laughs> <laughs> there is no system, everyone. So, as Gavin said, you can discuss this podcast on Honor Eastley's Facebook page, facebook.com slash Honor Eastley, H-O-N-O-R-E-A-S-T-L-Y. I suppose the other thing is, like, it's really great getting getting emails from people about their it's thoughts. It's so good. I listen to this great podcast review series called Always Listening, and at the end, quite often, they'll be like, hey, find your favorite podcast and send them an email. And I realized I don't think I've ever actually done that. Oh, I've done that. To my favorite podcast. What's your favorite podcast? Reply All. Uh, that's a pretty good podcast. Uh, mine is Mystery Show, so I really should. Yeah, but if you say that, then they might not email us. 
I mean, I think you should <laughs> you should email your favorite podcast. But here's the plan: this week, I'm going to email Mystery Show. SJ is going to email another one of her favorite podcasts, and you listeners, we want you to email your favorite podcast, no matter who it is. But especially if it's us, it is really nice hearing from people. We've put like a full day a week each into this podcast, and getting those emails is why we do it. That's not why we do it. We do it to talk to each other. The other thing for me is, it's just I put out a lot of like emotional stuff in this thing and I think sometimes people read it and they're like oh yeah I relate to that or I don't relate to that or whatever but I never know (laughs) I never know if people are like yeah man you sounded like a real crazy bitch when you guys were going and like I just have no idea I suppose that's part of it we are empty holes for you to pour your fucks into (laughs) please send us some of your fucks uh, and if you don't send it to us send it to your favorite podcast but thank you for listening Check out our mailing list, check out SJ's Facebook page, and keep on keeping on. <laughs> I'm so fucked. I'm so very fucked. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. We love you. Bye. I love you, SJ. You too. Wait on, no, that didn't sound believable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. The correct Star Wars response is, I know. Oh. I love you, SJ. I know. There we go. (laughs) Goodbye.